You know, the online world is great for so many things. It's great for making you laugh, it's great for entertainment, and every now and again you come across ideas or people that literally blow your mind. But I still think some of our best thinking happens offline. So join me, Nessa, on Offline Thoughts as I chat about some of the things I think about when I'm not online. I'm really glad you're listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. In today's episode, I'd like to talk about Valentine's Day. So today's the 12th, 2024, and it's two days before Valentine's Day. And because I'm lastminute.com, I still haven't thought about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to get. And when I think about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to get, of course, what I always think about at this time of year, and also tell you the truth, most holidays, is what the purpose of Valentine's Day is. And obviously in broad strokes, I know what we're supposed to be saying on Valentine's Day. I know it's about expressing love to the person that you love. Uh, I know it's about feeling love from the person that loves you. I know it's about sharing love with people in a non-romantic context as well. It's generally supposed to be a a holiday that celebrates love. And although I look forward to the festivities, I look forward to the excitement of anticipating what's going to happen or what you're going to get for your loved one, a part of me also always feels conflicted and I don't think I'm alone in that feeling. And part of the conflict comes from the fact that on the one hand, you know, we've all been inculcated in Valentine's Day mania, really. Like when I think back to my earliest memories of Valentine's Day, it goes all the way back to primary school. So in primary school, we used to have to like put together these cute little cards with like hearts and like uh, Cupid's arrow. And we would bring them home to our family and we would, you know, tell our family happy Valentine's Day. And it would be like a very innocent thing. And then later on, when we got older, we were kind of encouraged to basically give a Valentine's Day card to everybody in the class. So the idea was that you were sharing love with everybody in the class. And then older still, when you're a teenager, like one of the anxieties as a girl at least was that you wanted to feel like you were wanted by somebody else in class. So you, you know, when Valentine's Day came around, you very much hoped that somebody would slip a, a, an anonymous note or a Valentine's Day note um, through your locker. And I know in American shows like or American reality TV shows or even just like stuff you see in social media about Americans way of celebrating Valentine's Day is that, you know, they go big even in secondary school. Um, so you see like boys bringing in flowers, you see girls like being followed down like the hallway and like random school colleagues like throwing petals and that's because the person who's about to ask her out has basically like pre-planned all of this or you'll see them like standing outside with massive placards that say will you be my valentine's day so it's very much like a, a time for displaying affection and also from the person who's receiving it a time from being a time for being publicly wanted or being shown to be publicly desired even just on an innocent level it's a time when you get to indulge in innocent love in a love that is like celebrated and romanticized by everybody and to be honest even outside just like the idea of celebrating love on this day it's also a time to sort of reassess your relationship in a positive way so you might have been taking your partner for granted in the in the months coming up to valentine's day and valentine's day is basically your chance to make things right you know like you're going to shower attention on them you're going to shower them with affection you're going to try and recalibrate your relationship going forward so it's a really good opportunity to stop and really look at your partner and see them and remember the fact that you're in love with them and also assess whether you're really doing them justice or doing your relationship justice so in that sense in in the sense of having a chance to stop and think and 
reassess and give it the proper attention it deserves, it's a good it's a good opportunity to do so. But on the other hand, it does very much feel like you're being propelled forward into celebrating this holiday whether you want to or not. So there's a question of am I doing this because I want to? Like at this rate, am I celebrating that like do I really feel that Valentine's Day feeling towards my partner? Am I really in love with my partner? Is this the way I want to show love and affection? Do I have to show love and affection on this day? Do I have to show it in the way that's been told to me that that's the way I show love? So there's a question of agency and a question of feeling as though we're going through the motions even though it's supposed to be a special occasion and because it feels as though we're being propelled forward and there's a certain level of lack of agency insofar as choosing when and how to celebrate love it can leave a taste in your mouth that feels as though it's not as innocent as it as it initially seems or actually maybe innocent is is too deep of a word. Let's say that it doesn't feel as neutral or spontaneous or as exciting and, you know, as I'll talk about later on, as fulfilling at the end of it as it should have felt. And I think why that hollow feeling is there, you know, behind the scenes or underneath what we're going through is because although we all know that wanting love is natural and wanting to feel love and give love is natural, the way in which we experience or give or receive feels like it speaks more to the power of marketing as opposed to an authentic way of expressing love or an ex- or an authentic way of communicating love, adoration, desire, all those feelings to the person that you love. And when I think about the power of marketing or the co-opting of love by by capital, really, one of the funniest examples I think about, and my partner talks about this all the time, is the the marketing of engagement rings, um, specifically diamond engagement rings by Tiffany's. So obviously now when we think about what it means to propose to somebody, what we always think is the person gets on one knee, they pull out a ring, and that ring nine times out of ten is a diamond. And when it isn't a, when it isn't a diamond, let's say it's like some kind of other stone, we think it's not quite right. Or we assume that it's probably some kind of family heirloom and that's why they haven't gone for the diamond. But the standard and the expectation amongst most people and in most people's imagination is a diamond ring. And although because it's been around for so long and actually not that long, but long as far as like the public memory goes back, We don't even remember that there was a time when that wasn't the case, where people maybe gave rings, but it wasn't specifically the diamond that people gave. And the reason why I I talk about De Beers and I talk about Tiffany's is because they were the ones that basically introduced the idea of the diamond being the most powerful symbol of love. And the idea behind that was that one, it's super rare, and two, that it lasts forever. So the idea is that because love is supposed to be rare, or is rare, and because love is supposed to last forever, what better symbolism to give the person you love than a diamond ring? And all that would be romantic and all that would be fine if it wasn't for the fact that diamonds are really not rare. So the only reason why diamonds are so expensive is because basically De Beers and other diamond companies artificially restrict the supply of diamonds to maintain the price level at a certain point. And they go to extreme lengths to ensure this. They, one, basically restrict other countries being able to produce or bring to market their own diamonds. And one of the ways they do this is basically by being in bed with the people who certify that diamonds are 
coming from basically minds that are not using child labor or not using slave labor. And the certification process is very long. It's very arduous. And also they themselves don't have to go through the same standards. So it's you know, it's very unlikely and it's difficult to convince me that you're going to have millions and millions of, of diamonds that are being produced specifically by De Beers and tell me that, that all those diamonds are not coming from the same places that we imagine they're coming from. And then the second way in which they're able to maintain high prices for diamonds is basically by convincing us, the public, that diamonds are valuable and rare and worth paying through the nose for and that's why they will spend millions and millions of pounds, not just around Valentine's Day, as we're talking about right now, but even also in the lead up to other holidays, specifically when you think about Christmas and you think about how romantic people, how people in relationships and how it's an act of romance to basically give your partner jewelry. So they work on us psychologically all year round, but specifically in the lead up to Valentine's Day to reconnect in our imagination the idea that love equals jewelry for example or that romance equals jewelry so if you want to be a partner who's romancing who's romancing your partner then what better way than to give them on valentine's day an engagement ring and i think i was reading somewhere that 10 percent of all engagements basically take place on valentine's day so obviously that speaks to the fact that this is a very powerful marketing strategy that has a great deal of influence on not only how we feel, but more importantly, on our consumer behavior. And while engagement rings are sort of like an easy example to go to, just because it always blows my mind just how much money people are willing to spend, and which, by the way, I still want an engagement ring, even though I'm talking about this, but it's still pretty outrageous that people will take out loans, for example, they will go into debt, they will like not eat, they will like, you know, and move places so they can live in a cheaper place so they can afford to buy an engagement ring and also that people see an engagement ring that isn't big enough where the diamond's not big enough for example or they feel as though their partner hasn't spent enough money that they will literally make their partners feel not good enough or belittle them or in other ways show a lack of appreciation because what they feel is that because they've received a smaller diamond then it's just it's almost like it's proportionate to how the person feels about them, even though it's literally just a function of where the person falls on the socioeconomic ladder. If you have more money, obviously you can afford a bigger ring. And if you have less money, then obviously you can't afford as big a ring. And in in both dynamic, it's not a measure of how strongly the person feels for you or how much they, they how much love they have for you. It literally just boils down to basically what family they were born into and where they they ended up economically. And largely speaking, those things are outside the person's control. So outside the diamonds, there's also other physical items that have been co-opted. And it's always physical items because it always has to be things that can be paid for or that can be bought. So other things that we think about when we think about Valentine's Day is obviously chocolate, it's lingerie, it's jewelry as we're speaking. But it's also things like hotel rooms and romantic dinners and romantic getaways. And what the co-opting of love by corporations and capital in general has done is that they've basically linked all these physical items with not just the feeling of love, but also they've linked it to other feelings that are basically integral to feeling 
fully fulfilled in a relationship so they've linked those items to feelings of being desired of being wanted feelings of being cherished of being chased or nurtured or cared for really fundamental basic feelings that basically people need in their relationships to feel as though that relationship is taking off their most basic needs And it's pretty easy to tell that our perception of what it feels to give and receive love has been co-opted by this very simple fact. And that's that we all tend to celebrate love in a very particular way. And it's so particular that if I was to say to you, what is the what is the color of love? Like I bet you nine times out of ten, most people will say red. And when we say red, There's no real reason why love ought to have the color red. It could be blue, it could be green, it could be yellow, it could be any color, really. Because you can associate positive feelings or ascribe positive feelings to any color, really. You could say, for example, yellow signifies happiness, love means happiness. You could talk about how blue and deep blues signify depth. You could talk about green, how love is refreshing and it gives you a new lease on life. You know, like... The color that we assign, the red color we assign is really arbitrary or outside us all feeling like, you know, knowing that love is associated with the color red, even when it comes down down to acts of showing love, we literally think the way to show a woman, for example, that she's loved is you get her flowers. The bigger the bouquet flowers, the better, because it kind of feels as though you're willing to spend more money on the bouquet because she's worth more I guess, even though, as I just said in my, in my, you know, in a second ago, that's of course not true. It's just a function of how much money you have. Outside the color red and outside flowers, we also think the same way about what it means to have a fully fulfilling Valentine's Day. So it's not just the gifts that you get. So it's not the flowers. It's not just the perfume. It's not just the chocolates. It's not just the dinner away, but it's also the intimate part of Valentine's Day. So it's like there's an inherent link to the things that you get, and then what happens later on in the evening. So you think of massages, you think of romantic dinners as a prelude to hotel rooms and weekend getaways. Like, why is it that that expression of love is so well-defined in all our minds, or most of our minds, and why is it such a narrow expression of, of love? And also, why is it that most things that we think about love, so when we think about the things that make up love, or that make up Valentine's Day, they're all things that basically have a value amount attached to them. They have a dollar amount attached to them. They're not things like that are free, essentially. They're not things that are priceless. They're things that have a price. And that's obviously the fact, that obviously speaks to the fact the only way that corporations can co-opt and get us to change our consumer behavior is by connecting these feelings that I spoke about of love, of being cherished, of being desired, of being nurtured to physical items that they can literally commodify. So it's not so much that the love itself is being commodified. It's almost as though these physical things take on the feelings of love or take on the personality of love. Bear in mind, only literally for Valentine's Day because chocolates the next day just go back to being chocolates. But on Valentine's Day, they're like love chocolates or flowers just become flowers in the day after Valentine's Day and the day before Valentine's Day. But on Valentine's Day, flowers are romance and flowers are love. So what they've done is they've connected these core, central, fundamental feelings that we all need to physical items that then basically become a shorthand way of saying I love you so it's almost as though you don't have to say I love you you just give flowers and the flowers say I love you or 
a romantic dinner says I love you or jewelry says I love you or lingerie says I want you, you know, the modification basically. And even saying all that, even accepting that it has been co-opted and it has been commodified, it doesn't necessarily still mean that it's a bad thing. Because playing devil's advocate, or as my partner likes to call it, devil's advocado, is that it can still be a positive thing in the sense that you are still going out of your way to spend finite resources to make somebody feel loved. And that in itself is a sweet thing. You work all day, you know, you work five days a week probably, or, you know, a lot of people work more than five days, and you work so you can earn money, and that money is a representation of the man hours that you've put in into earning that money. So the fact that you choose to give that money in some physical form to another person is a, is symbolic of the love that you have for them in that you're literally willing to give your time and physical self that's gone into making that money to that person. And also of all the things you could have spent that money on, things like takeaway, things like buying clothes for yourself, things like taking a weekend away for yourself or spending it in other ways that are just for you. You've chosen to give those resources or a segment of those resources to the person that you love. That's an act of love in in the context of a capitalistic world. Unfortunately, though, is that what then happens is that the love basically becomes an act of transaction. So it's not so much that people are buying things it's that because people are buying things they often think that that absolves them from having to do the actual work that makes people feel loved and also perversely as time goes by people basically think that receiving things is love it's almost like Pavlov's conditioning so every time that you receive something it comes with somebody telling you they love you so Once that happens over and over again, and especially if you're sort of inculcated in a culture where that's been the norm and standard since you were a child, it means the way that you receive love has also been defined by that transaction. It means that you also associate receiving something or somebody giving you something with love. And if you don't receive something, then that means that you don't feel love. Even though the physical thing was supposed to just be a shorthand way of saying, hey, I care about you, I love you, and the way that I love you is, the way that I show you that I love you, is by giving you a symbolism, a symbolic gesture of some of the love that I have for you. And some of that symbolism comes from the fact that I just talked about, you know, like a minute ago, about how that's me willing to sacrifice some of my resources to buy you this thing that shows you that I love you, essentially. But now what's happened is that that thing has become love itself. And that kind of brings me to my next point about the five, the, th- the five love languages. And as you know, if you've, if you've come across the five love languages, gift giving is categorized as a love language. So some people feel love by receiving gifts or they give love by receiving gifts. But again here, I really question whether it's the actual physical thing that's making the person feel loved or feel love or if it's what that thing represents. So when somebody gives me a gift, I don't feel love because I have, for example, like let's say somebody gives me perfume, a bottle of perfume. My loved one gives me a bottle of perfume. I feel love by the fact that that person went out of their way to try and make me happy. Like they know that I like perfume, for example. They went out of their way to remember their specific perfume that I like, the brand that I like, the make that I like. They've gone to the shops, they've put it in their cart, they've taken it home, they've wrapped it, and they've presented it to me. All throughout that process is them having 
my happiness or their desire to make me happy or the desire to to show me love at their forefront so that's what makes me feel good it's like oh like you went out of your way to do that thing for me to try and show me that you love me but it isn't the actual physical thing because even when somebody gives you something that you don't necessarily like so let's say like your parent gives you like an ugly sweater and that sweater is ugly but you still feel love by receiving that sweater because it's not about the sweater it's about what went into getting you that sweater they went and they went to the supermarket or they went to like a shop that you like or they think that you like and they said i think my daughter or my son or my child will like this i'm gonna buy it and i hope they like it and i wrapped it up and i drove to their house and i gave it to them as a gift or as a token of my affection that's the part that's loving And nine times out of 10, you grow to love that ugly sweater. So, you know, I have lots of things from my childhood that I didn't like at the time, but now I like them. And part of the reason why I like those things is because I associate the feelings of love that that person has given me, my family has given me with those things. It's the same thing. It's like when you look back, when you look back at something that somebody has given you, a partner has given you, and you feel feelings of warmth and feelings of nostalgia and feelings of love, you only feel that if that person was loving because it's a physical representation of the love you already have. If it was a shitty relationship or a relationship in which that person treated you poorly, they didn't show you love, it was neglectful, it was abusive, then when you hold that item, it isn't a simple of that love it's actually a reminder of bad times it's not as though it's the physical item in and in and of itself that's making you feel love it's because it's just a shorthand of basically of basically embodying the love that's already there between people and that's why when somebody who you don't like gives you something it could be the most expensive they could give you a tiffany diamond ring they could give you a cartier bracelet they could buy you a a a trip to the holiday destination of your dreams and that's still not going to stir any emotions in you because fundamentally you don't care about that person you don't like that person maybe that person even gives you the ick because they were trying so hard which points to the fact that it's not really about the physical item it really isn't about the thing that you're giving it's about the fact that that person has already put in work to make you feel love and this is just an extension of that love and i think that brings us to social media in that when you're on social media at this time of year it basically creates the impression that the thing itself is all there is to the love so because you don't get a background view or background sneak peek essentially into the person's relationship you only have that 30 second clip as a physical representation of their love or as a representation of their love so you don't see the hours they spend talking you don't see the counseling they've given each other you don't see the time and care that's gone into cultivating that relationship all you see is for example a woman receiving a thousand roses or somebody receiving beautiful handbags or jewelry or woman getting all dolled up for her partner or surprising her partner with like a getaway destination that's the that's a snippet that you see and the problem with only seeing that snippet over and over and over again is that it's basically conditioning to the person who's watching that content especially when they're young people who like probably haven't had like a meaningful relationship at that at that stage their takeaway message is love equals receiving and giving all these extravagant things and for me when people are displaying their their love or the their intimate moments or the acts of kindness their partners have performed for them, for me, it inherently cheapens the experience and cheapens the act of love because what they're doing essentially is 
they're becoming performative in a way. They're literally performing their love for other people to see. And in that act of performance, what they're essentially doing is they're prioritizing the public gaze over preserving the intimacy of their relationship. Because, you know, I think we most most people agree that what feels rare and special about love is that it's intimate and it's private and it's it's special because it's only you and that person that have that special understanding, that have that special connection. It's almost as though you have like a secret language or an in-joke with that person. So it becomes less special and less of an in-joke or less of an in-thing if everybody has access to that same information. Also, you know, I've seen people expose just really intimate stuff like love letters, apology letters, um, people devoting themselves to the other person, or just even intimate things like lingerie or filming themselves being kissed by their partners or the prelude to going into the bedroom, just wildly intimate moments that they've put out for the world to see. And the reason why it's performative is that it literally is a performance. It's such an, an a natural way of being because you have to think about the 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 logistics that go into displaying these things. So there's no way that your partner walks into the house with a big bouquet of flowers and you just happen to have your camera out. Like that's impossible. You just happen to have your, you knew when your partner was coming home down to the second, you positioned yourself in front of the door, you had the phone rolling, you had your camera on already and you already had hit record to film the entire moment from when the doorknob turns and they open the door. That's just obviously not what's happening. What's happening is that they're coordinating, coordinating with each other. They're saying, I'm going to get you this. It'll be great if we get it on camera. And then they go through the process of staging that natural or authentic moment. Or when you see like videos of people like it's morning time and they're in bed with their partner and they're having like cuddly moments giving each other kisses. But like you obviously woke up before then and you set up the camera at a specific angle, you hit record, and then you're trying to make the public or make us believe that that's like a natural, authentic, spur-of-the-moment thing that's just occurred, when actually it's a very curated, very performative thing that's just gone by. That's where the act of cheapening takes place, because one I sometimes think to myself, like, isn't it awkward between you and your partner for you to stage all these moments? Because I know for a fact that if I, if my partner walked in through the door and was giving me flowers, and then before I'd even kissed them or thanked them, I was already recording them, and I was, like, already thinking about how I was going to put it on social media, that would definitely create tension between us, because it would feel as though I'm prioritizing not how I feel in that moment and appreciating the act of love that's being bestowed upon me. I'm already at the forefront thinking about other people and how they're going to perceive this moment, as opposed to being present with my partner in that moment. So there has to be a certain level of collusion that makes the whole thing just that little bit ickier. And then outside just the the cheapening effect that it has when you perform your love for other people or for the public gaze, is that it also kind of encourages self-deception in many respects and prolongs relationships that probably should have ended a while ago. So I personally know that people care about the perception of their relationship more than the actual reality of their relationship. So 
as long as it looks good from the outside, as though there's a feeling from outsiders that the two people in that relationship love each other, that there's romance, that there's kindness, that things are going well essentially, then they're kind of happy to trudge on even though the reality might be very, very different. You will get people who literally calculate and think, well, Valentine's Day is coming up in four months time. I don't want to be on social media single and sad on Valentine's Day. So I'm literally going to stay in a relationship that I otherwise would have ended if not for the public performance I have to give in February. And I'm going to stay in this relationship until that point is over and even probably beyond that point because... Again, it's not so much about the lack of fulfillment in that relationship. It's about the fulfillment they get from being able to perform love in front of other people. And I think that's why probably being on social media and taking in that content leaves me at least feeling a little bit not empty because I'm not that emotionally invested, but there's a feeling of hollowness to it because you have to know on, because obviously when you're consuming content, you might not realize it, but your mind is functioning on different levels. So on the one hand, you're watching the content and on the other hand, you're also responding to the content internally. So visually you're responding to what you see. So you might see somebody being receiving flowers and they've got like this look of just like shock and happiness. And you're like, oh, like, isn't that sweet? But another level you're thinking about, you know, you yourself in that position, how it might feel to be in that position. But then there's also another level that's kind of aware that it's staged because again, like these moments don't tend to be caught on camera because they tend to be spontaneous or the person tends to be surprised. And on another level, you might suspect that it must not happen that frequently to them because the things that happen to us frequently, we don't really like document. So the reason we don't film ourselves giving our partners hugs is because we do that all the time. The reason why we don't film ourselves giving our partners kisses is because we kiss all the time. The reason the things we tend to document are things that are rare or special or out of the ordinary. So a prime example is when somebody proposes to you. That's probably the only time they've ever proposed to you or ever will propose to you. That's why they tend to gather family around and it tends to be an occasion that is authentically and organically recorded. Other stuff, like, like receiving flowers, why should it be that you're recording yourself receiving flowers? Because presumably, if your partner is attentive in that way because they know that you like flowers and that's why they're giving you flowers on Valentine's Day in the first place, then shouldn't they be giving you flowers all throughout the year? So they probably give you flowers regularly. And if you receive flowers regularly, then why should you record yourself on this particular day looking shocked and surprised and your eyes filled with wonder at receiving flowers? Because that must imply that you don't get flowers all the time or put another way that this is a rare occasion. I mean, I don't know if this is what goes through everybody's mind, but on some level, that's what goes through my mind. So I'm initially swept away and I'm like, because I I like romance like everybody else. But then when I stop to think about it, I think, oh, like, actually, there's actually it's a little bit sad in a way because it must imply this is not the way your partner behaves to you all the time. To me, it almost feels like the person or the couple is overcompensating. And to be honest, like even in, in the celebrity world, like, Whenever I see celebrities who are just over the top PDA and over the top just gushy with each other, it's usually because it's super new love. And that's, of course, natural to be that way in those early stages of being swept off your feet by somebody. But sometimes it can also feel as though to you, you think, oh, this probably won't last because there's a level of suspicion, I guess you could say, that's created because you think, 
But we are random strangers on the internet and the random public that don't know you and and really don't care that much. Like beyond being salaciously interested in what people are doing in their personal lives and the chaos that might be going on in their personal lives, you're not going to walk away and be thinking as you make dinner, I sure hope that celebrity couple is doing okay or I sure hope the relationship is intact. No, like you watch it, you, you watch it for entertainment value and then you step away and you probably don't think about them until the next time you see like them on a magazine breaking up. So given that they know this as well or they should know this, it does smack us as strange that they should be so open and inviting of their intimate, personal, presumably treasured relationship to us, the public who don't really care that much. And that's the same sentiment that I feel when I'm watching people online on Valentine's Day or on other holidays too, just inviting me in or inviting us, the public, into their most intimate, private, romantic moments. Like, bro, like, we don't know you, we don't care about you, and why are you exposing all of this stuff for everybody to see? And also, why do you need to expose those things for everybody to see? And I can imagine some some level of negatively reinforcing behavior is what I'm going to call it, where you might not be that happy in a relationship, but then when you look back through your timeline of all these happy moments that have been documented, it might create the impression that you're happier than you actually were, than you actually were. Because if you look, if you have a 12 year span in which you've posted your partner like eight times, shall we say, and all those times you post them are of course always going to be happy occasions. And around Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day in particular and other holidays, it's especially lovey-dovey. It's showcasing the best and your, and your, and your partner is out probably performing for you because, you know, maybe that's sort of, they know that you need that or they know that that's all they need to give you, then when you look at that timeline, it literally can create the misconception that you are happy in those moments, even though you yourself were in that moment and you yourself were in that relationship and probably weren't as happy as you look. So even if you're able to somehow lie to yourself in that moment, or let me not say lie to yourself because I don't think that's what's happening exactly, Let's say even in that moment, if you're able to be swept away by the performance and the romance of that moment, obviously once that moment is over, you still have to go back to that relationship that probably doesn't measure up to what they are performing for you. And also because it happens annually, you probably know that there is going to be a downward spiral or there's going to be a peak of that moment when you're performing for the cameras and it's all great and it's like these big gestures and big flowers and gifts, but then it goes back to being average, shall we say, typical, shall we say, underwhelming, shall we say, or in the extreme case, unfulfilling. So it's almost a natural or a foregone conclusion that the the net effect at the end of that Valentine's Day period is that the person is going to feel emptier, unfulfilled, or generally feel as though like something is missing because it kind of is missing because like we were talking about in the episode, the physical components, the physical things that you are given are not love in and of themselves. What makes them worthwhile or what makes them sentimental is the fact that it's connected to the actual underlying good relationship. It's the fact that it's been given to you by somebody who treats you well, somebody who's loving towards you, somebody who's kind with you, somebody who's patient with you. And that's why those things take on a sentimental value as time goes by or later on, because it's coming from a person, because it's a natural conclusion or it's a natural end to what already exists in your dynamic. 
And when that isn't the case, when it's just a physical thing that's been given to you in a performance or because it's Valentine's Day and that's what the corporate world has told us, that's how you're supposed to celebrate or show love, then when you're left with these trinkets, with jewelry, with perfume, with chocolates, with flowers, whatever it is, it never feels as special as it ought to feel or you imagined it was going to feel because it isn't given in a special way. And I think also outside the fact that when it's given outside the context of a happy relationship, it's never going to be that meaningful. It's also also the fact that, again, as I said at the top of the episode, you're being propelled forward into showing love at this particular time, in this particular moment, whether or not it's organic at the stage in your relationship that you're at. And also you're doing it in a very uniform, narrow way, in a way that might not even be authentic to the nature of the relationship that you have with somebody. So maybe that person isn't even a flowers person, but they just receive flowers because that's what's expected. Or that person isn't really into overly big gestures or displays of affection. They're more about being loving every day of the year. Then of course it's going to feel off or feel like there's a level of performance or a a level of coercion into behaving that way because that's kind of what's happening. So I think the conflict that I spoke about at the beginning of the episode comes from that two, those two components interacting. Like you do want to show your partner, partner that you love them and you care about them, but you want to show it to them in a way that feels authentic and natural. And also that doesn't feel as though it's been commercialized in the way that it has way where it your love and your ability to show affection is inherently connected to the money that you make and the physical things that you buy somebody I think that's probably what to be honest at at the crux of it what feels empty or what makes people feel pressure to do more than they necessarily would if that wasn't there and also it makes people feel as though it's a hollow demonstration of love because obviously we know that true love cannot have a dollar amount true love is not free it's not priceless in the sense that there's things that you need to do to earn it and there's things that you need to do to show it but those things again don't have a dollar amount so if you want to feel loved in your relationship or you want to show love in your relationship all those things actually that you need to do don't cost any money what they do cost is time and effort so you want to be a listening ear for example you want to show your partner that you accept them regardless of how they look or how they may change with time because of weight gain or because of age or because of illness that makes people feel loved in a fundamental way Or you want to be an encouraging person where you make the person feel as though they can pursue their dreams and no dream is outside their reach. Somebody who makes you feel that way, you're going to feel loved by that person. Or as we all know, people make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. So in the course of your relationship, of course, mistakes are going to happen. You feel loved by not being held hostage to your mistakes and not being held hostage to a person you used to be or a version of you used to be. And so again, that grace that's being extended to you can make you feel love because what they're offering you in that moment of forgiveness is unconditional love. And when we think about the people who mean the most to us that we treasure the most or people who offer that unconditional love, that's why people have, when things have gone well, have this deep attachment to the people who raised them because those people raised them through ups and downs and they never had to be perfect for that person they loved them when they were naughty they loved them when they were good they loved them when they brought good grades home they loved them when they brought brought bad grades home you know their love wasn't conditional on something and so when a partner can give you that and they give you that acceptance and they give you that through 
being able to forgive you and being able to move forward in a positive way. All those things are components that contribute towards love. And if you'll notice, all those things are things that you can go to the shop and buy and put in a pretty package and give you and give to your partner. All those things are essentially priceless, which is not the same thing as to say that they are free, because obviously, as I said, they do cost time and effort and emotional investment and being well calibrated emotionally so that you can be there for, for your partner in that way. And really, that hits at the central issue with Valentine's Day and the way in which it's presented to us in just everyday life or in social media is that that key component is always left out. And instead, what they try to sell to us, which we feel on some level is not true, but sometimes still gets swept away in the celebrations and the festivities and the marketing of Valentine's, is that they've tried to replace those fundamental components of what it of what it means to give and receive love and in in their stead they've put physical things that of course will never ever be able to measure up to the actual true feelings of love and so that wraps up today's episode thank you so much for tuning in if you liked the episode it would mean a great deal to me if you would hit the subscribe button and also i'd love to hear your thoughts on what you thought about the episode in particular and generally as well how you celebrate valentine's day do you participate have you sort of sworn it off do you feel a sense of pressure to celebrate it in a particular way or have you found a way to still show your person that you love them without necessarily being trapped by some of the negative components of valentine's day uh, my email, if you'd like to reach out to me, is offlinethoughts.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much and catch you in the next episode.